Welcome to the path forward. Gotta start with the first sound. Primordial heartbeat. Best way I could think to introduce myself. My intention is that this is one of the most important and valuable podcasts you have ever tuned into. I'm committed to Phil on that seemingly lofty goal as I am certain that I've discovered some of the most important ideas to share at this point in our human journey. Now that sounds like grandeur, and we will definitely regularly be counteracting that by taking the piss out of ourselves around here. Because if these ideas are truly that important, then they can take it. They have to be robust to be truly profound. And we might indulge in a bit of grandeur from time to time. There ain't nothing wrong with that. The fundamental concepts that we're going to share are all about solutions. Solutions during this time of transition and turmoil. We are in transition. Everything is changing. And it may not be exactly clear what the path forward is. We're going to talk about how we actually heal climate change, how we transform our politics and economy so they actually work for all of us. It's all about following the money and modern business, and those two things are definitely tied to each other. How we live a virus-free life how we think and communicate in new ways. We'll explore each of these fundamental realms on two sides, as concepts and culture. I was brought to this place and my life and to share these ideas really out of the thought experiment of what would happen if I was diagnosed with a fatal illness? or something else like that that was terminal. What, what would I share with the world and my daughter that I think are the most important concepts that I've discovered so far? And I've had a pretty distinct and incredible ride. That's what this show is all about. I think that's all best done in dialogue. So we'll be interviewing experts, all kinds of exciting thinkers and people creating new types of businesses and some regular culture reports, music, film, lots of other things we really enjoy. The best way to do that though is to introduce a couple of my co-hosts who will be riding along with us and to talk about these ideas inside of a dialogue. about to uh, take a path forward and look at the most important ideas in the world today, talk to some of the most exciting people about our path forward in this time of transition. And I have an incredible co-host in that who is one of my dearest friends, Pashko. 
Pashko, are you there? What is going on, my brother? Yes. I'm in Seattle, and Pashko, where are you? Los Angeles, cabra. Yes. A little southern flavor to us. So, yeah, that's definitely, we got the West Coast on lock, and that's definitely our home, our home territory, where a lot of our story takes place. That's right. You know, what we're going to do on the path forward is we're going to share concepts and culture. We're going to share some heavy ideas that are going to be the main course. And then we're going to have a good time with some side dishes and a little bit of dessert, too. That sounds yummy. Yeah. Yeah, it should sound yummy. Hopefully this whole thing is going to be yummy. And what I, what I want to do is... I thought the best way to start would be to introduce these these very important concepts by explaining them to to you, you know, one of my closest friends. And then we can talk a little bit about our connection and uh, what we've kind of been talking about is our treasure chest. Lots of gold in that chest. (laughs) Isn't, (laughs) Isn't that exciting? Yeah, we've definitely had some adventures together, right? Oh, my goodness. We're still here to talk about it, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. One way or another, kind of like two old old cowboys in a way or something. It's the good old days, brother. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think that that's part of what I want to talk about, though, is life experience and, and why I'm here and why people should be listening to me and to us. You know, I feel a real urgency around that and the most important ideas that I've discovered in my life. And it's, um, it's not to, to blow up my own balloon, you know, but in my 40 some odd years, you know, I have actually had lunch with one of the richest men in the entire world, Mr. Gates. I've had dinner long ago, I was young, but with Mr. Buffett. I've been lost in a foreign country across a border I wasn't supposed to be in. And I have been to prison. And that was a big part of my life that changed my life. Really had me stop down and look at what is most important. And in the last few years since then, you know, I've kind of had this thought experiment. I think think a lot of us do this. I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's like, what if what if I had a, a diagnosis of a terminal illness or I was told that I only had so much time left and you know, how would I live and what are the most important things that I would share? I think that's great for sure. I think having that, it's not even just a sense of urgency. It's like stripping down all the BS and, just getting down to the marrow of what's really truly what matters to you in your life and how you want to frame everything. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I have two primary ideas that are, or, or realms, if you will, cause there's, there's multiple ideas, but they're, they're the pillars of what I think is the most important for us going forward. And We have had a year unlike we haven't seen in a long time. Yes, we have. You know, in terms of the path of humanity, man. I mean, global pandemic and 
to me, that is a part of um, Mother Nature, you know, uh, expressing herself and, and, and waking us up. I don't, I don't think we've really been paying attention. Huh. Uh, to say the least, I mean, it, it is definitely, um, there's such a disconnect between how we live our lives in our little bubbles, in our suburbs, in our cars, in our own, you know, isolated worlds and, mm-hmm. and, and what is really out there. Yeah, our echo chambers, you know, I mean, I, I obviously have my point of view and I, I really do think diversity is and diversity of points of view is something that is also reflected in nature when I'm just talking about. It. I mean, it's connected to biodiversity. And I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about all of that and, and what's most critical, but I think it's been a lot of talk. Mother Nature is unequivocal. I mean, COVID-19 is, when I say unequivocal, you can have any political stance, point of view, argue about it. You can shout on top of a mountain. Mother Nature doesn't care. You know, this, this disease, this virus doesn't care. You, you cannot talk your way out of this situation. Huh. You can't pay your way out of this situation. You can't pay either. your way. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. And there's plenty of that going on, right? There's plenty of and that. And people certainly trying. And, and that's a great transition because the, the first of the most important realms of concepts is about the American cooperative movement for me. And the idea wow. of having cooperative and worker-owned businesses. Economists that I love to follow and for me is, is you know, the godfather inter- introduced me to this really realm is uh, Professor Richard Wolff, who's certainly out in the media and, you know, we hope as we build something here that we'll be able to connect with his organization and hopefully himself at Democracy at Work. And, and I couldn't say all of that better. That's really what all that's about. That sounds like maybe a lot of political mumbo jumbo, but it's really about what if we had democracy in our workplaces, meaning at your job? Wow, so we don't have to be afraid with the master slave? <laughs> exactly. We should think about that even now, you know, we have this huge soaring unemployment and some people are going back. We'll see what happens. But I think we've seen recently in a lot of ways, there are managers and people who hire us or employers that control our income, which for many of us is, is our lifeblood for, for our lives or our families, um, you know, our families. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that there can be for, for so many tens of thousands of people in the industrialized world inside of this version of capitalism that we're at right now, there can be a manager, a middle manager who literally is, is kind of the person or two people who really have the most say in your lifeblood, in, in your income, your well-being. It's so true. And, and, you know, coming from a family business, I've always had the luxury of, mm. of not working for other people. And, and every time that I have, I, I've really, for some reason, have this uncontrollable level of anxiety. And, and, and maybe it has something to do with 
you know, my own stuff going on with myself. But I always find myself going back to mm. working for myself. And, and no matter how much I have to work during the day, how many hours I have to work, it always feels better to know that I'm answering to myself and I'm accountable to myself instead of always mm. being literally walking on thin ice. Um, uh, I said something wrong or it, uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a different type mm -hmm. of feeling. You know, our mutual friend, Brian, he's uh, the ethics professor, talks about how even employment law, modern 2020 employment law, a lot of it is based on, you know, feudalism and, and the um, master-slave mm. uh, relationship. That's what we're looking at. To simplify some of all that down, it's really about follow the money. You know, that's a phrase that I always connected to actually Watergate. Follow the money. Yeah, and if you follow all the money around whatever issues you are passionate about, whoever's listening, the, the most important things that we have to tackle as a society, you know, if you follow the money, you will kind of, I think, see what's really going on and where energy and resources are really being put. And for most of us, our own money, I mean, that can start at home. Here in the United States of America, most of the industrialized world considers itself some kind of a modern democracy. But when we walk into our jobs, which is where we spend probably at least 70% of our waking hours, for the vast majority of people, you're not walking into a democracy. Nope. It is a very small group of people who have control of where the profits that you help generate go and how they're used. Now, I, I get people have surveys and they have you know groups and they have communication through their managers, but, but my kind of the buck stops here literally question is, do you have any kind of voice in how the profits at your place of employment or the business that you have, how they are spent and managed. Yeah, and even the vast majority of you know Fortune 500 companies. I mean, the the idea of some mutual companies that have you know payout dividends and so forth. It's a breadcrumbs, you know, and and um, well, there's a, a small group of people, yes. right, who are on the boards of these corporations who we know across the industrialized world. I mean, this is not just the United States and Canada and North America. We know this is all of the EU. That's right. Um, all of industrialized, you know, Asia. I mean, the, the pattern is really rampant. And it, it's not, you know, to me, I want to say something important right now as we talk about this idea. I, I don't want to sit on a pulpit and vilify you know, ooh, capitalism's so horrible, the horrible thing, and here's this new wonderful way that we can go forward. That That's silly to me and not realistic because capitalism really did actually take us out of that feudalist system that you're talking about. I mean, sure, the, the merchant class, this has changed the world. And for so many people, for the better, it's been so powerful. And to, and to deny that, is to equally have blinders on. But I think we're at a point in its maturity where it's, it were so lopsided is my point of view, just to kind of wrap this up a little bit, is that we're, we're so lopsided that if you want to go out and get a job or even create your own, like you were talking about, you know, we're both entrepreneurs. 
I still feel like you're really tied to being responsible to your clients and going and getting sales. And you, you do have some more say, you know, on how you generate and distribute profits. But some of that's also controlled by, by others yes. as well, rather than having a democratic group who are producing profits together. Right. And what I'm interested in is not, oh, gee, everything's going to change, you know, overnight. I mean, this is that kind of harkens back to like the lessons we learned out of the counterculture movement of the 60s, which which was important. But I think we've matured from that point. It, it's today. If you go into the workforce, you, you probably have 99 or 98 percent of all jobs are in this mature version of capitalism that is not democracy. And I think what would be amazing is if in the next 10 years, as we build the 21st century, what if there was 30% or 40% of all jobs, not even a majority, but you go to get a job and you're like, hmm, you know, do I want to go work for a worker owned business or a cooperative or something where, you know, we have meetings and there's lots of talking and there's downsides to that also, right? We, there are these skill set to democracy that I think we don't have much practice at, honestly, in our daily lives? Or, or do I want to go and hustle as hard as I can inside of a more pure capitalist corporation and, and get mine? And I don't think either one is necessarily better, but it's an experiment that we're not running. It's lopsided right now you only have maybe one or 2% of jobs, and that's probably being generous, that are worker-owned or cooperatives. So why can't we have it be 60% capitalism, 40% the American cooperative movement? Yeah, and I think it's, uh, it's funny. I, I was reading an inter interview with uh, Mark Cuban. He was talking about, uh, you know, what is mm -hmm. best for the customer as a, as a government. Like, you know, people in charge should be mm -hmm. worrying about the customer, which is the the people and so like we see examples of what you're talking about in Spain and different countries where uh, this cooperative more democratic workplace is actually possible and the funny thing is I you know and, and even here there's some companies that have the CEOs have taken you know massive cuts in, in their pay and, and, and so that equity the idea that um, the person, the janitor, the the person with the, in the mail room, so to speak, mm -hmm. is just as important uh, and has just as many great ideas. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you know don't get your MBA and don't um, you know learn finance and all these incredibly powerful concepts. And and uh, I, anyone mm -hmm. who has that level of success, hats off to you because you did something right. And and that's great. I'm not sure. you know, again. It's not even like, yeah. and and we need that, yeah. right? I think we we need management, we need executives, we need leadership in organizations, and they can they can look a variety but, of but different see, ways. Co co companies are even tiptoeing around the idea that that everything is changing and that work culture is changing, but it's not really. Mm -hmm. We can't do it with one foot in and one foot out. It has to be like a genuine concerted effort. Yep. Oh, we, we give to charity and we volunteer and, and this and that. Well, what about like <laughs> taking some of the $70 yeah. million dollars you make every year and perhaps equally distributing that? You know, mm -hmm. how many um, uh, Cartier watches do you really need? And so, um, yeah, you know, there is there, there's a possibility. And so this path forward, what you've named this podcast, man, what is that vision for you? Like, what, what do you 
I'm not talking about a utopia. I'm talking about real work, man. Yeah. And, and that's why I want to be a part of this. Like, what do you what do you see happening? What do you want to happen? It it really is. I think it's politics and it's in business. It's really us, you know, highlighting and talking to people in business about and in politics about how do we support cooperative and worker owned businesses. Right. You know, we we do a lot of support of corporations you know there there are tax breaks for pretty much every major corporation you know we talk about subsidies and and there's a lot of talk about that on the left but you can look at just the kind of if you will microcosm uh, although the numbers are big of the the ppp loans i mean we see where the first rounds of that money went to these really huge companies in good part and and not as much to these smaller businesses and a lot of these big companies have huge assets. Sure. You know? I mean, I still don't understand, I, you know, I don't want the airline industry to fail. I don't, but you know, I love flying <laughs> versus driving. Actually, I'm, I'm not a very sound flyer, but <laughs> it is a much more convenient way to travel. And at the same time, if you have a, a, a fleet of 20 or, or hundreds of planes that cost, I don't know what, I mean, a plane from, from Boeing or Airbus is probably at least $5 million to a hundred sure. million dollars. And you have multiples of those. Well, uh, those are assets. A bank will lend you money against that. Why are you getting so much of the taxpayer's money? Well, this is, this is a, a microcosm of, you know, we can really look at that and take action and we'll see what kind of businesses are we supporting with our public dollars? Because that's what tax dollars are. They're public dollars. And, and what percentage of those dollars went to support cooperative businesses and worker-owned businesses? And, and we need to really build a movement and have conversations here that are about that movement and organizing people, organizing each other, and, and reaching out to communicate to the people in our communities that are hearing you and I speak and to extend that, you know, sounds like grandiose language, but man, the internet's real also. So for our listeners and for clarity's sake, hmm. please remind me and remind everyone exactly what yeah. that cooperative workspace looks like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're going to talk to and have interviews with a number of business owners. You know, one of the ones that comes to the top of my mind is Arizmendi Bakery in the Bay Area. Also, there's a great American brewer, uh, New Belgium um, Brewing. I think that's right. They make fat tire mm. beer out of the Denver area. I imagine that, you know, instead of working five days a week at your position, at your job, that maybe every week, maybe every two weeks, you have one day a week where everyone in your team or your division, your group gets together and has a conversation and votes about, here's some initiatives around, hey, how are we running this business? Where are the profits coming from? Is there, you know, how, how what's our revenue look like? Mm -hmm. And we each own a piece of that. Ownership. You know, and, and not, 
Exactly. That's when it's a worker-owned business. That when the business succeeds and the revenue increases, you have a percentage of that business, which is a huge incentive. But you also have responsibility to have this meeting time at least once a week or once every two weeks where you meet and you decide with your coworkers, hey, how do we want things to be run? What's working and what's not working in our department? And, and how are we using the, the revenue and profits that we're producing? Obviously, you don't want to just take it all for yourselves because then you won't have a business anymore. The thing is, is that like when you were saying that, it was like, you know, so appealing because the accountability factor, the incentive factor, like mm-hmm. human nature, like they did studies during, um, you know, the USSR that, okay, the, the mm-hmm. government would give people, uh, you know, obviously like wh- however many acres of land to produce food for the state or, you know, their, their comrades or whatever, the, the, the public. Mm-hmm. And people actually produced more food in their small, tiny, little micro plot of land that the government allowed them to do for themselves than on the 10 times larger mm-hmm. because it wasn't theirs. Because they, they could care less about, you know, it, it's insane. No ownership. No ownership. I'm so glad you, you brought that up because it's so critical. And this is something we'll talk about, you know, especially here in the United States of America. We don't have much of a, a socialist movement. We did out of the 30s and into the early 40s, which is definitely something I want to talk about and is one of the things I'm the most proud of, actually, as an American. Oftentimes the criticism is, well, what you and I are talking about right now, well, that's communism. That doesn't sure. work. Look at you know the USSR. Look even at China. But the reality of that, what's so critical to talk about now in the 21st century is the experiments of quote-unquote communism or social democracies are, are no different than the corporations of Europe and North America because it's still a small group of people in charge. That's why it didn't work. It's called the Politburo. Right. You know, you see that today in Russia and in China. There's, there's you know, everything was for the state. Everything was for the comrades, but, but they never really had the kind of worker-owned and cooperative business where the workers had a say in how the profits were distributed. Look what's going on in Hong Kong, you know, after a hundred mm-hmm. hundred years of, of freedom that now they're, they're, they're just going nuts yep. because they, they're, they've lost their freedom. Yeah. And democracy, you know, and so, their, their democracy, democracy is being eroded, right. And taken from them. And, and honestly, politically, now this is stretching out a little bit far, but just to plant a seed of, you know, where does this path go? and I you know, talked about politics, is we are in this global landscape and we can see the influence here of our politics and elections by China and by Russia. I think that it would be a powerful message if, if we can really start this experiment of building more cooperative and worker-owned businesses and helping support and fund them through our local and state and national government organizations, that that would be a very powerful message to communicate to Russia and to China and to their citizens of, you know, hey, aren't you supposed to have a say as citizens, as comrades in your organization, the the government for the people? But that's not the reality. You know, I think it's an infectious idea that 
could catch on in those places because it, it has before. It's just that they're experiments. You know, all of it really, if we take a big step back, a big part of our history, all of our history, has been experiments of ideas and things that groups that have inspired passion and organization have caused into being. Sure, but some somehow, like after whatever, the Revolutionary War and the Founding Fathers, who were arguably the most intelligent philosopher rulers that any nation has ever seen, a group of them, not just one of them, but mm. all those amazing <clears throat> individuals. And then the Civil War, and then the West happened. And some somehow in between like Manifest Destiny and Rugged Individualism and all these different things that sort of, I think, still plague, because there is this incredible power that we have inherently as a nation as seen like through World War II and the, the ability to, to gather, rally together and to, and I, I'm, I'm a immig immigrant son, you know, I have a slightly mm -hmm. different perspective because Tell I, you the story, tell that story a little bit. You know, bit. My, my dad grew up in a communist country, Yugoslavia, it's now called Montenegro, and he was a teacher and served in the military, um, but uh, he was doing great as a teacher, elementary school kids, and then he found out that his colleague teachers, uh, other, uh, some other teachers were being killed because they were seen as threats. It's a communist country. Anyone with half a brain is considered a threat. So he literally fled the country, went to Italy, uh, took a ferry over the Adriatic, and somehow met my mom in this tiny little town called Atina. And 50, almost 51 years later, they're still married. And it's incredible. But every family has that story of survival because everyone is from somewhere. Mm. But, you know, there's always been this sort of like going through the mill, you know, movies like Gangs, Gangs of New York and all this stuff. And there's always like this, this mm. thing where people have to earn the right to be an American. Well, well you know, it's, dude, we all have... The Founding Fathers talked about the natural rights of man. That's what this country is based on. So we don't have to mm -hmm. earn anything. We are naturally free. And so, um, mm -hmm. but this nation, like we're so divided. We're, we've been, we've never been so divided. And it's gonna be just fascinating yeah. to see what happens uh, come November. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Oh it's, man, uh, yeah. It is intense right now, right? And. And that's part of what I think, man, it, it's so intense. And we, you know, to me, in part, and, and this is maybe kind of cynical on one side of this, I think there is room for these ideas. But on the other side, I think there are two flavors of the same capitalism. That's a system that's broken, you know, they're just different flavors of the same thing. Because I think that the political parties are, are scared to change or to start to support other types of businesses because corporate capitalism is a huge funder. And it's really going to take something, man. Stuff like this has to start with people in, in their neighborhoods, in their businesses, in their communities and and all of that sounds far off but look how fast things are transitioning man i mean if if you know i would have told you and you and i were recording this in even december or january you know in this last year and said hey you know how we know 
to work and and the popularity of working from home or whether we really need to be in the office or not is going to completely change this next year. I mean, would you believe Absolutely me? not. No. <clears throat> and yet now, uh, you know, the, the, the ecosystem, commercial real estate is no longer as relevant. It's, it's, it's literally like just a cascading effect. And, and mm-hmm. my, my point is that things change, sure. you know, change does happen and that's real. And, and so what I want to talk about, and I really appreciate that is, you know, this conversation and, and this podcast is really about tangible, real solutions and and that's so important to me as as we're in this time of transition and i think one of those very tangible solutions is this cooperative movement and and these businesses i mean we're talking about something that exists it's not la la land i mean we have a really proud tradition in the united states um, and in europe of cooperative businesses i mean look at agri- a lot of it's in agriculture you know, so there's this this great history to explore, and and there are very real existing businesses that are profiting and thriving, and others that have have made mistakes that we can look at and dig into, and that's that's part of what we're gonna do. That's great, man. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm super excited to just have a conversation because man, that's that's the best part. Uh, without you know, free of judgment and free of ego and free of uh, you know. Let's just talk it out, man. And, and, and mm-hmm. you know, you and I, since the moment we met in 1992, sat down mm-hmm. and, and, and began the conversation. And we've had a continuing conversation for all these years. And, and, it's, yes. and it's something that I treasure more than anything, man. So I'm, I'm really honored yeah. to be a part of this. Yeah, well, and, this, and now we're getting to invite all these other people oh. in, man. We're putting it out here, and I think let's um, we're gonna shift gears and go a little bit more to to some of the fun and to that treasure chest we mentioned. Cool. And uh, and wrap out, you know, with some <laughs> of that. I mean, we did we did meet each other, and man, I think one of the the oldest things and the best things is to just talk about, you know, music is such a it, it's it's part of our water oh, for sure, our air. It is our water and our air. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we've made a lot of great music. And, you know, just to talk about you some, man, I remember like you just got turned on to studying the congas and and Latin jazz in, you know, East L.A. in in Whittier. Sure. I mean, I I literally someone turned me on to Carlos Santana and I I said, what is that sound? And it just called me and. And my whole life changed. Uh, I went to Cuba to study and just literally took a 180 from wanting to study philosophy and religious studies to, to just being totally engrossed by the muses, you know. And, and, uh, mm. and so, so much great music, sure. man. I mean, thinking not to sure. interrupt you, but I think it goes back to like, I mean, you literally got involved and were studying with the the Banda brothers of Poncho Sanchez's band in what the, the mid to late 90s? Yeah, early 90s, 92, 93. We'd go see Poncho Sanchez two, three times a week. And uh, remember those shows, dude? Incredible. They were, I mean, you know, he is a godfather, but they were on fire back oh, then. Oh, man. man. Just absolutely like some of the coolest. There's a real sound that's, that happens here in LA, and there's so many great musicians that come out of this 
this crucible of culture, and and, um, mm. and that's what it, that's what really appeals to me is that the universality and the, the democratic nature of music that anyone, I don't care if you're black or me Mexican or Hispanic or Cuban or whatever, if you have respect for the music and you, you truly want to learn, then you can learn music from every every culture of the world. Mm -hmm. And so that what that that's what really appealed to me was that the universality of music. Um, the idea that, that um, mm -hmm. I'm not Cuban. Why do I love Cuban music? Well, I don't know, maybe because it's just awesome. It's freaking amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. It is amazing. I followed you on on that second trip and oh shh, don't tell the state Um and it's incredible. It was incredible. Seen Los bon bon. The most living uh the most living, breathing spiritual life and musical life. And and I, I think our connection to that place, you know, I, I don't want to skip over, you know, another theme that we're gonna pursue is uh, so many artists in your network and people you know that are a part of that um, Latin jazz and Latin music community of Los Angeles. And there's some rich, rich memories and experiences. Oh there. man, it's it's uh it's the best, and it's really uh, been such a journey, uh, but. It's not over, and, and that's the cool thing. I see, I see my kids uh, loving music. It's a natural thing. I always say, drumming, dancing, and singing are three of the most fundamental expressions of just being a human being. Mm -hmm. For sure, for sure. And I, you know, just to share a part of my life that will be a part of this as well is I got involved in dance music and DJing very early on in 1989. And I feel like it's it's one of the things that I'm the most proud of and, and cherish um, to have been a part of that, the culture of electronic dance music coming to the West Coast and, and its growth and evolutions literally 2019 was my 30th anniversary <laughs> that's so cool i still remember i know so kind of you know <laughs> going to all these crazy underground parties and, and, and having our, our friend stephanie and and just being part of this community that was uh truly um tribal and just cathartic and, and incredible you know the, the, the most, some of the most epic years. I mean, people who look back on dance music, man, to be in LA and and the late '90s, like '97 for sure, but but '98 to 2000, 2001 was a, a particular era, and there was a particular set of sounds, and we got to be there when there was a lot of these godfathers and founders, as I love to call them, from Detroit and Chicago, were coming out to LA to even live some or to play regularly I mean, you remember you know in the, the epicenter of that I was going to talk about King Brit and Roy Davis Jr. both of who I, I really hope we get to speak to here that would be incredible yeah yeah we're going to reach out man and uh, you know part of that I feel like the epicenter was was Marcus Wyatt DJ Marcus Wyatt's yes. deep, you know in Hollywood and we were there from the from the very beginning was, which was amazing. Hey, rather than just talk about music, why don't we put on a little music? We got a, a piece that we did, this this reggae dub piece with uh, Raul Pineda on drums. Who's, who's that cat? He is the best 
drummer in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Raulito, he up, is man. He does, he's amazing. He's an uh, Afro-Cuban man. drummer who's uh, one of the only drummers that I know that can play anything. Jazz, Latin jazz, you name it. It's just phenomenal. Let these people give a little listen. another chapter right <laughs> one of the one of the other you know jewels in our treasure box is hopefully you're starting to, to understand a treasure chest that uh you know we have these these groups of beautiful things to share with you and another world that maybe a lot of people outside of the the washington dc area uh don't know about that we learned about in la is the world of go-go music. chuck brown rare essence trouble funk mm. Yep. Northeast Groover. Man, I'm telling you. Dude. To me, it is like the, um, it is the equivalent. I tell people who don't know a lot of times out here on the West Coast, I'm like, you know how punk is probably like a distilled version of rock and roll? It's kind of like this intense distilled version punk rock is of, of rock and roll in, in a mm. big picture. I feel like Go-Go is that distilled, intense, almost pure version to funk. Wow. I like that. I, I, I yeah. never thought of it yeah. from that perspective. You know, I'm always... My first connection with it was the conga drums, the percussion. The fact that um, mm. it's one of the only genres of music in this country that I... You know, when I went out to D.C. and I, you know, was honored to, to take some lessons with Go-Go Mickey... Um, one of the oh. most amazing conga players, rare, rare, rare essence. essence. So he, when I saw them live, and I understood that literally the bass, the drums, and the congas were on volume ten, and everyone else was on volume two. I was like, man, I can get used to this, you know. Mm. <laughs> <And> <laughs> as a conga, as a conga player. player, you know, and and because you know, <laughs> it's okay, but it's just every other genre except for, of course, Latin music. The Percussion is is sort of a, just a salt and pepper a- additive, uh, but no, with Go Go, mm-hmm. it is the driving force of the music, and mm-hmm. it is incredible. Yeah, I think we talk about that a lot. That that will be a, another a theme, you know, as we're kind of introducing these themes here in episode one, is that we love that rhythm. You know, section-driven music. Hey, you know, the drums hey, and the bass. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Let's hit it. Yeah. 
Yes, that is a beautiful taste of some of the finest go-go music from the D.C. Baltimore area with rare essence. Uh, I just love it. Man, they get, they get to me every single time. Man. <laughs> it's that, that rawness and, and pureness of it somehow, man. And it is just like you said, it is just un, unbridled rhythm and blues and, and funk, man. Yeah, some beautiful. beautiful stuff there, brother. Yeah, well, and we get to, you know, I think we have a lot to share. We gave we gave a good taste here. Um, I'm excited. We're going to get to talk about your trip to D.C. and getting to work with and meet Go-Go Mickey, and then we're going to have him on the show and some other cats from D.C. We're going to explore the world of, of Latin jazz and Latin music, particularly focusing on East L.A. and some of that culture. You know, a place where, sure, where we first connected <laughs> and, and went to school. Yeah, just really keep exploring. We got to introduce that first of the two primary concepts of this cooperative movement and worker owned businesses. You know, we're going to start exploring that through interviews and our continued conversation. And, uh, and next up is our second of the two. So we'll be talking about biochar. We're going to bring in a, a, an encyclopedia of entertainment. One of our other fine co-hosts, Mr. Pember, uh, just golden comedy is all I can say about that man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's hilarious. Yeah, man. Let's, let's, let's blaze the path forward. Let's see what it's all about. Yeah. Man. yeah. Let's, you know, open our vision up to the future into the present. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's exciting. You know, we really are at the beginning of the 21st century. I mean, you, that may sound funny two decades in, but I always feel like history, you know, repeats itself some. And, and what I and our lives, I think we have the most to look back at is the last century, the 20th century. And really, the first two decades often reflect the, the prior century. You know, if you look at sure. the, the early 1900s and the 1910s, it was very connected to the Victorian era and the 1800s and graduating. And, and to me, it really feels like when you hit the 20s and you have the roaring 20s and really the, the birth of jazz as a popular, all of that culture and fashion, that mm -hmm. there was a really clear 20th century and an original identity. And, and I feel like that is part of what's happening right now in our 21st century and, and part of what we're about here. That's an interesting perspective. It's almost like the first 10, 20 years are just kind of an echo. Mm -hmm. and, and now something new is happening and we're, we're looking at this path forward of this point of transition and the most important ideas and concepts that we can discuss but also practice. And, uh, and have a good time doing it. Yeah, man, we're going to have a blast. And uh, <laughs> Mother Nature always has a, a way of saying, um, yeah, you, um, you thought you were doing this, but douche. <laughs> a little bit Here's of douche. A, a little bit of douche is douche. all I need. That's right. <laughs> so get ready, folks. Yeah, if, uh, if you got a seatbelt, you might want to grab one, put on your ear cans, and get ready, because this is the path forward. <laughs> 